Amen. You know, it's at Missions Emphasis Month, and I'm jumping right in. And um, just want to reiterate and remind you of a little bit of what we've covered anyway. And as we're just kind of highlighting who we support and why we support it and what the need is and what the call is for God's people, His church, to be, to be kingdom-minded and to be gospel-centered and Christ-centered and advance the gospel and to preach the gospel at every opportunity we get, I just want to remind you a few things. You know, um, I think it was last month. Well, it's only, what, the third week of November, or October, I should say. And um, last month, Pastor Dan, he preached on Jesus' miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. And we've all heard many sermons about that. And I was, I was reading that, and, and I hope you were reading along that scripture, but also listening to the sermon. And as I was reading that scripture, something arrested me that I can't let go of. And I'm going to share with you this morning, because in that passage, I'm not going to stay there. I'm going to use it as a springboard for something and, and for who we ought to be and who Jesus wants us to be. But in Matthew chapter 14, Mark chapter 6, Luke chapter 9, and then in John chapter 6, all four Gospels, we have this, this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, right? Now, it's interesting to me, because in all of the Gospels and how they all have their accounts, and there's reason for that, and it's good reason. It's beautiful in God's design of, and, and, and how he, he wants to get his message across with different eyewitnesses. John omits something that the other Gospel writers include. And it's powerful. It's powerful. And it wasn't the purpose, I don't believe, of course, based on hearing the message of Pastor Dan a few weeks ago, but I want to highlight something that is really, really important and and make it my purpose as a starting point this morning to to, to delve into something a little more appropriate for us and that that is relevant to us right now. In, In verse 16 in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, and you'll find it in Mark and Luke as well, in chapter 6 and 9 of Luke, when Jesus is approached with this crowd and, and by his disciples. They're, they're in this crowd and they tell him, this crowd is hungry, they got to get something to eat. The disciples, they tell Jesus to send them away to get something to eat, to buy something for themselves. And the first three gospel writers, they say something, and I'll just use Matthew's words in verse 16. This is what he says. You give them something to eat. Are you convicted yet? No. Fine. That's, that's fine. I am. You give them something to eat. But Jesus, we don't have anything. We already heard about that a few weeks ago. We, 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 I don't have any abilities. I don't know what to do. And, well, you know, and the Bible says, the gospel said that Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. We know that. God knows all things and he has a plan. But Jesus invites He makes an invitation for his disciples, those who are walking with him and learning from him, to be participants in the miracle of feeding hungry bodies, but more importantly, now on this side of Calvary, feeding hungry souls and hearts. You give them something to eat. I'll be saying that a lot as we go through this morning. You give them something to eat. Do you know what they said right before this? In Matthew's Gospel, and in Matthew's Gospel, he's the one that records this. The phrase, the sentence, right before Jesus says, you give them something to eat. The disciple says, and Jesus said, I'm sorry, Jesus says to them, you don't need to send them away. 
Now are you convicted? You don't need to send them away. Don't send them away. You give them something to eat. I'm not ready. I don't know what to tell them. I don't know if my gospel presentation is clear enough. I've only been a Christian for three hours. Yeah, so was the blind man that Jesus did. He got touched and transformed. And when he was approached by the Pharisees, he says, I don't know everything about this guy, but I know one thing. I was once blind, but now I see. You know what? That's all you got to give him. That is food for the soul. And his name is Jesus who opened my eyes. I know he's Jesus. I was blind and I see. Is that enough food? Can God multiply that? Yes, when you are a willing participant in God's plan to feed souls with the truth of the gospel, it is sufficient. It's all you need. And again, Christ is calling us, even through those words and his disciples, to be co-laborers with him. Participating in kingdom work. They participated in the miracle. Think about that. And listen, and they, and... They even distributed the baskets of the food that he multiplied. Bread and fish. And they kept serving and kept serving to the groups that Jesus had split up on the hillside in that crowd, that multitude of people. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9, he said this about his, himself and the apostles in the work they were doing, that we are co-laborers with Christ. And so are you, so are we. We're co-workers with each other and with Christ. We've got our arms locked to do kingdom work and to feed those who are hungry and who are famished spiritually, who are dying at the door, death's doorstep because they have been given a false gospel or they've never been given a gospel at all. The true gospel of Jesus Christ. Look, we already looked and, and, and we, we discussed that there's a biblical mandate, there's a biblical message, and, and, and there's, it's all for the purpose of us to reveal God's glory, His majesty to this world. That's why God saves us, to glorify Him. There's a harvest ready. That was the message last week. There's a harvest. And let me ask you, there's a word that that resonates in my heart about what Jesus said about you going to feed them. You give them something to eat. And it's simply this, and it comes in the form of a question for you and for me this morning. And if you're a visitor, if you haven't noticed, I talk fast. Will you serve? Will you serve? Will you serve? No, not yourself. Will you serve? Yourself shouldn't even be part of the service concept. It's always about others. Will you serve? Work to sow the seed. Will you work to sow the seeds of the gospel and to reap the harvest as well? Will you work? Will you serve? When Jesus says, you give them something to eat, it speaks, right? It speaks to our emphasis today that the mission is all about serving. All about serving. See, to serve, just by the definition of the word itself, and many of you know this, to serve is simply to offer yourself and to sacrifice yourself for the good or the benefit of others. Notice the last word, others. It's others. It's others. It's others. You know, there's a reminder that I want to give you that the purpose of salvation is God's glory. 
We talked about that a couple weeks ago with the glory of missions and how it's all about missions, it's all about God's glory. It's to bring God's glory. Yes, it's to save you from your sins and, and the consequence of that, of that wrath of God and eternal punishment. We understand that. But it's to bring glory to God as a result of that. So that's the purpose of, of missions and of salvation that we present in missions through the gospel. But the MO or the, the mission, the main objective of the Christian, of the follower of Jesus, is to love God by loving and serving others. It's never about you. I know that does, that just doesn't, that does not make sense to our Western and to our American mind. Even now, even in this time now where, where we're seemingly serving others and, and, and social justice, if you, well, there's just one kind of justice. It's just justice. There's no, you don't need a word before it. I've mentioned that before. But all these things and doing good, it's, it's, it's never about you. It's always about others and God's glory. It really is. And it's hard to swallow sometimes because we love to be patted on the back and caressed and, and massaged and made us feel good and pump up our ego and esteem. And those things are all, there's a healthy level of that, I suppose, to, to encourage us to that degree. But, but, we, but we, we do it for others, not us. And you know, this idea of serving, this invitation that we would give others something to eat. By the way, we have something to give, and we'll get into that in a minute. But it all starts with Jesus. I remind you again, I'm giving you a lot of reminders, that Jesus never asks us to do something that he hasn't done himself. The greatest servant of all was Jesus. There's no greater servant than Jesus that ever lived or walked on this planet and that existed before he came to this planet and exists now forevermore and one day we will see and meet that servant face to face. The greatest servant ever was Jesus, the ultimate servant can I remind you, and as we go through some scriptures this morning, having used the, that, those words by Jesus when he's feeding the 5,000 before he feeds them. But in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, I want to turn your attention there, and I will read. And if you have your Bible or if you have your app, you can follow along, but I'm going to read from the New American Standard. And Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 and verses 5 to 8, Have this attitude in yourself. Yourselves, actually, plural, he says which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself and he took on the form of a bondservant and even more. That word again, we talked about this in Sunday school, is doulos, a slave. He was a servant. He belonged. He was possessed. He was owned by God. To do everything, to do his bidding, whatever his father said, he would do it. And he took on that form, and he was being made in the appearance as a man. And he humbled himself, and he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Is there a greater servant than Jesus who tells us that we ought to serve as well. In fact, Jesus said himself in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, he said that the Son of Man came not to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To serve. To be a servant. Not thinking about himself, but thinking about you who are sitting here even today, right now. He had you in mind and he saw you and he served you even back then as much as he does now with his Holy Spirit and his word of truth. Oh, what a great servant he is. He came to serve and to do the service of the Lord God as Father. Do you remember Isaiah 53? Some of you who know the Word of God and who have been Christians, you know that prophecy in Isaiah 53. If you look in your Bible, and the heading for that text and that scripture, that chapter, is called the suffering servant. The suffering servant. That's who Jesus was. And it was a word about Jesus and everything that he would do. He humbled himself. He didn't care about himself. He came to serve humanity in all its forms and ways and means all the way to the point that he would carry, he would be bruised and beat up and carry our sins on the cross because he knew in the end the harvest would be great and we're all part of that. He served us by suffering and dying for us. It was prophetic. Let's fast forward in Jesus' life. Because remember, Jesus never does anything or tells us to do anything he doesn't do or didn't do. In John chapter 13 and verses 5 to 20, I I will not read that that, that whole text there, but I will reference uh, verse 20 in a moment. But you know what happened there. That Jesus, at the last supper with his disciples, he comes to them, they're prepared that, they're eating the meal. And then in verse 3, it says that Jesus, he poured water into the basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. Let me ask you, in a f- physically speaking, when's the last time you washed somebody's nasty, stinky feet? <laughs> yeah, you see, there's something about that that is okay. Let's make it a different context. Another adult. <laughs> it's not easy. It's hard. It's humbling. That's called serving as a servant. Not just serving, but being a servant in that moment and demonstrating that by bowing down. This, this, the ultimate servant who would give his life, he takes up that towel and he washes his disciples' feet. And here's, here's the picture. What, what you must see this morning when we talk about missions and about that it's all about serving others to glorify God in the process. Listen, the bookends of Jesus' life are surrender. Can I give you the bookends? Here's eternity past. If we could look at it linearly. And Jesus is here. And God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son are in heaven. And they're having a conversation. And they're saying, God's, God's like, you know, I got this plan. And I want to save humanity. I haven't even created them yet, but there's a plan. They're going to fall. They're going to need salvation. And I got this plan. Who's going to go for us? Jesus, I'll go. Okay. And God had this plan, and he appoints, and he knows that Jesus is going to go. And so, way back before the foundations of the world... Jesus is already chosen and known, and it's all, no, he's gonna, he's gonna shed his blood. He's gonna be the lamb that was slain. It's already in God's mind and his plan. He knows that. And Jesus says, 
I'll go and I'll be a servant. I'm gonna, I'll submit to you and I'll serve. And there, there was a submission. He submitted to the will, the plan of God the Father with the most incredible plan of rescue in all of history, in the entire universe. He says, I surrender to your plan. That's the bookend. And it starts, we read in Philippians, where he humbles himself and he comes. And then you come, and then you go to the other bookend, and it's, it's, it's in the eternity pet. It's at the end of his life, right? And he's walking on earth. And he goes, and here's the cross. Well, we see the cross there. And he goes to the cross. Right before his life on earth is over, after his ascension, he lived for a while, right? And he, he ascends. But he goes to that cross, and the cross is all about surrender. It's all about surrender. Dying for you and for me. And we're called to do the same thing for Jesus. That unless we take up our cross daily in Luke chapter 9, we're not even worthy to follow him, right? It's about surrender. The bookends of his life. In the, in, in, in the, foundations, the foundations before the earth and the world. And all the way to the cross. Surrender, surrender. What do you have in between except a servant who serves faithfully because he surrendered? all you have a servant who's serving non-stop who came there is nothing he did that didn't put others at the forefront of his mind and his love compelled him to reach out to the down and out and to 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 right those who thought they were self-righteous and to do the right thing and to serve them with the truth and and with his love that was not void of the truth and said it the way it was Bookends of Jesus' life are surrender. You know, back to Jesus' words to his disciples. Before he performs the miracle of feeding 5,000, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. In John chapter 6, after Jesus performs this miracle, the context after this miracle and what happens there is that Jesus begins to preach and he says, you guys want a sign, you want me to do miracles? But then he starts talking about the fact that in John 6, we have one of the seven I am sayings of Jesus and he says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Now, this brings things into focus. And it, it should be clear to us. Because if he said, I am the bread of life, and if you have eaten and partaken of the bread of life, and Jesus is your salvation, and he's your spiritual sustenance and nourishment every day, then you know what? He is that something that you give to others to eat. It's living bread. He is what you, you give them something to eat. And right after that miracle, he says, I am their bread of life. And those who have me, who feast on me, they have eternal life. Life that keeps on giving and it's abundant and it goes on and on and on and on. And you have something to give, something to offer. And at the miracle, he says this, eat my flesh and drink my blood because it results in eternal life. And he's talking about a relationship with himself. See, the Word is Jesus. And the Word is food for hungry souls. Malnourished 
souls. Souls that are dying or dead that can bring them to life. And in the Bible, the word is called many things that have to do with food. It's honey, it's milk, it's bread, it's meat. As Jesus said, my will is to do. It is meat. I have meat to eat that you don't know what to do. It's to do the will of God the Father. He, it was all about service and all about serving for Jesus. But the word is food. It's honey, milk, bread, meat. It's, it's, a, it's life-giving. And as Christians... We have the bread to give. It's not going to run out. If you're fearful that you start sharing Jesus or giving, and you're going to run out of ideas or ways, or it's not going to run out just like manna. And Jesus talks about the manna in John chapter 6 when he's talking about himself being the bread of life. He said, the, 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 the manna came down through Moses, right? God sent that down. But the, but the living bread has come down from heaven. God has sent, I have come down as that living bread, manna from heaven. And I will, you will never exhaust me. There's enough for every single day, just like the Israelites had in the wilderness. And God keeps supplying. And Jesus is the bread that keeps on rising and baking and sustaining. And you can nourish and you can eat and you can digest and you have energy. And you can share him over and over and over again and you can never exhaust him. There's never an end to the supply of the bread of life. Now, as we come to a close in a moment, there's a difference between choosing to serve and choosing to be a servant. There's a difference. See, it's, and the difference is this. The difference is all about the heart. It's all about the heart. It's all about your heart. It's all about your attitude. There's a difference between being a servant and serving. Richard Foster wrote a book called The Celebration of Disciplines. And many others have written about serving and service and what it means to be a servant of Christ. But he said something really, I, I, I'm going to paraphrase, I just jotted some notes down. He said that service grows humility in us, doesn't it? Right? If you're, if you're serving, it keeps you humble. It keeps your eyes on others. And you realize you need God to keep serving and to be, keep offering their bread of life that we're told to offer to all people. See, the difference, really, between choosing to serve and being a servant is that when we choose to serve, we are still in charge. You know, we, we, we worry. When we choose to serve, we worry Maybe not all of you. Maybe you don't see it this way. But, but think about it deeply. We worry about being stepped on or being taken advantage of or taking charge over when we choose to serve. If Jesus chose back before the foundations of the world, I'll serve. He says, no, I'm your servant, Father. If he says, I'm going to serve, then he would, he would have in his mind, oh, God's my boss. But if he says, I'm your servant, he surrendered that and he could become a servant now and never wonder about the authority of God and walk always and say, you're the boss, I'm doing whatever you want. That's a hard attitude. That's not just about setting conditions and and choosing who's in charge and that I'm going to choose when and where and how. And yet we can still do that, right? Because we make choices and we still struggle with selfishness and bad attitudes and hard hearts and all kinds of things but when we choose to be a servant we give up the right this is hard to be in charge that's the difference 
When we choose to be a servant, and there's a connection here to the lordship of Jesus in our lives, we give up that right. And, and, and we, if we choose to be taken advantage of, then you cannot be manipulated. I'll say that again, and you can digest that. I'm not going to expand on it. If we choose to be taken advantage of, I know it's a hard thing to say, to be a servant, then you cannot be manipulated. That's the difference between choosing to serve and choosing to be a servant. And if you choose to be a servant, you will serve. But if you choose just to be a servant, you can still not be a servant. You know why? Because so often, because of the way that sin crouches at the door of our house, we, be, we have this self-righteous servants, service, this attitude. We're not servants. We just choose to serve. And it comes with human effort sometimes. And sometimes we, we want external rewards for our service. And we pick and choose who we serve. And yet, biblically, and in Christ's kingdom and in his economy, we don't have that option of choosing who we serve. We serve everyone when we can, how we can. Oh, I'm not saying that's easy. Because you remember, it requires surrender. It requires surrender and getting out of the way. When we, when we just choose to serve and we're self-righteous about our service, we're, we're affected by moods and whims in the moment. Oh, you know what? Oh, yeah, it's a great way. You know, I think I can serve that. Oh, you know why? Especially since I feel like mm, that day, I, you know what? That's a, that's a one-hour commitment. I'll, I can do that. That's enough. That might be true, and I don't want to discourage you from serving on those bases entirely, but it still comes down to the heart. Because you can commit to that and still not do it from your heart. You're just going through the motions. You're doing that act of service, but you're affected by moods and winds and, and how you feel and whether you get recognition. And, and, and it's only service while you're serving, right? It's a temporary thing, but when you're a servant, it's a lifestyle and it's a pattern of living, all the time. You know, when you choose to serve, you run the risk of being insensitive, that you even want to demand serving and how you serve, and even to the point of, honestly, you can be destructive in that process. But when you are a servant of God, man, you give it freely, and you can, you can freely withhold, and when somebody is going to be, you know, you, you know how to, you know, God, you're surrendered to God. How's your heart? Do you see now, do you understand now that you have something to give? You give them something to eat. Look, no matter your knowledge of God, no matter, about, no matter what your depth or your experience of God or about God is in the Word or in your prayer life or in your interaction with the Holy Spirit and your quiet times with God or maybe it's your loud times, whatever it is. Maybe it's all the times you're in your car and you're just belting it out and the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and words come into your mind and Scripture's filling your heart. Whatever, wherever it is, whatever those experiences are, you can serve the bread of life that results in eternal life. You know, all it takes is a crumb. And that crumb can save a life. They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. But I'm going to send them to somebody who knows more than me. I'm going to send them to this website. I'm going to send them to that YouTube pastor. I'm going to cut it out. Send them to Jesus. 
plain and simple. Send them to Jesus and let them know who he is, that he's the bread of life. We are so hung up on that, and we're always sending people different places because we find our pet theologies and pet things, and then all of a sudden, we corrupt the bread of life because we like to go to certain preachers who have certain angles or slants or philosophies or hermeneutical and theological bents and slants, and we say, that's the truth! And Jesus says, just send them to me, give them me, I'm the bread of life, and I'll take care of everything. Do we believe that? We don't. That's why we do what we do. And that's why the church is the way it is now. Because we're not willing to offer the bread of life and trust in the sufficiency of the bread of life, even if it's a crumb. What are your excuses? Maybe you say, it's too difficult to be a servant and to serve others. Maybe you're thinking, you know, yeah, there's an opportunity in my workplace or in my own family, but you know what? When I'm ready, later, later, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Yeah, you know, I, I'm really feeling like I, I really got to be a servant and I got to give people something to eat. I got to share the gospel any way, shape, or form, through my service, through my word, everything I do. But, but I'm really busy. I've said this before, and I'll say it again as a reminder, and I have no fear in saying this. Some of you are way too busy with everything but kingdom work. And you're not servants. You're choosing to serve on your terms, and you're falling short, and you're dissatisfied, and you complain, and you whine, and you find everything wrong, and you just... Because, you know, the greatest antidote to, to this kind of attitude is and to, and to not serving and to find wait until everything's perfect and conditions are right and everything is just right is, is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and this is the closing scripture, and we're going to pray. Paul says that all the work they did as servants is simply this. Christ's love compels us to be servants, and he gives everything people need to eat. Christ's love compels us to be servants. Christ's love compels us, it drives us, it causes us to serve because we are servants who are surrendered and we understand and know that the harvest is plentiful and the workers need to get busy. Will you serve? You give them something to eat. Is that clear? Let's pray. Lord, I take to heart your words to your disciples. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take these words, you would take these truths, and you would, they would take root in our heart and something would happen. That there would be transformation, Lord God. We'd get out of the way, we'd humble ourselves, and we would be true servants of the Most High God and of Christ our Lord. Father, I pray that we would heed your words. We would hear them, but then respond and do something about your invitation to give this world who was hungry and famished and dying, dead, Lord, that we would give them the bread of life which can never be exhausted. And Father God, I pray we would do this knowing that we are compelled by your love and we do it with the backing 
of your authority to spread the gospel everywhere we go. To you be the glory, Lord God. To you be all the honor and all the praise. And thank you, Jesus, for showing us what it means to be a servant. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.